Hi there, church family. It's good to be with you today. As we do our sermon review, we were in Psalm 19. We had started that a couple weeks ago, actually, but finished it this week. So Psalm 19, verses 1 through 14, really focusing uh, this past Sunday on verses 7 through 14. Uh, because there is a change there, there is kind of a, a break there, but in the first six verses, <clears throat> excuse me, David is writing about creation, how the heavens declare the glory of God, how God has created everything, and there's a purpose for creation. One of those purposes is to draw people to God, that they should see creation and say, Some, somebody, something has, has made this, this has been planned out, this has, there's a purpose to all of this. And so it, it points to to God. Um, and we have to be careful, and we said this last last time, to understand that pointing to God is different than pointing to the gospel message. Like You're not going to see that in creation. You're not going to know that Christ came to die for your sins so that you could be forgiven of your sins. You're not going to understand that through creation. And so more is needed, more is necessary. And David shows us that in Psalm 19. And so one of the interesting things that you see is when God is referenced in the first six verses, there in verse one is where he's talked about, it is the generic term for God, the God of of all peoples, the God over all things, God creator, L-E-L. Um, as you get to verse seven, though, where David is going to start writing about the word of God, he uses the word in, in our Bibles, it, it probably is capitalized uh, Lord, all capital letters, and that means the word that's being used there is Yahweh. It's, it's the name that was unspeakable, the name that shouldn't be said, but it's the name that God had given to his people Israel. This is this is my name, and so it is always thought about as covenantal. You think about the promises of God. You think about the steadfastness of God. You think about God and his people, not just generally over all creation, which all people are gods. He created them all but God's covenantal people, the people that he chose. And we see that with Israel. And so that's the that's what David is starting to use as you get to verse 7 and talking about the word of God. And there's a reason for that, because the word of God was given to the people of God. And that's something special. That's something special that that they had, that we have, that we have today. And so David goes through six different um, words for the word of God, gives six different adjectives and then six different uh, accompanying, um, what would you say, results or what what the word does uh, for us in our, in our lives. And so we see he says, the law of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, and the rules of the Lord. And so I'll just read this little part right here. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Now, on Sunday, we did take each of those, and uh, people much smarter than me uh, say there are little differences to each of these words that point something out, and I think that's true. That's why I shared that. Um but if you just take 7 through 9 and you want to say, what what's the point here? The point is that the Word of God is completely perfect. It can, it's completely trustworthy, and there is a purpose to it, and the purpose is to, what it said, revise, 
revive the soul, right? To make you wise, for your heart to rejoice, for your eyes to be open to the truth so that you can endure forever and so that you can understand righteousness altogether. That's that's what this word does for us. Um, that's why God has given it to us. And these are the things that mankind uh, needs, right? And so that's kind of the, the sum of verses 7 through 9 is saying, you have, you have creation here pointing you to God, but then there's a special relationship of God with his people, and He the way he has made himself known to his people is through the word of God. And, and that word that is used for the word of God is, is talking about the Torah, the, the first five books of the Bible, what Israel had, their, their, their Bible during that time. Um, and this is how God revealed himself uh, through, the, through the law, through talking about creation, um, and, all, and all those five books, which you can, which you can read. So we start to see the importance of the, of the word of, of God here. Um, I don't know. Maybe we talked about this. We talked about this last week, some I think. Um, but people, people referencing, you know, how creation. You can see God in creation, but, but then the importance of the word and how we as the church have the word, which thus makes us uh, responsible in a sense that we need to be the ones to take the word of God and share it with people because they don't have it. We do and they don't. And, and we need to be faithful um, to do that because we have a desire for, well, we should have a desire for the lost to experience verses seven through nine of what it says the word of God does, right? We, we should have a desire to see the lost have their soul brought to life, uh, to be wise. Uh, there's big advantages to that, not just having compassion for them because you want them to know Christ and to be saved and forgiven of their sins, but also it creates a better society, we know as well, with Christian morality and Christian principles and living according to the Word of God. It creates a better a better society. And so we do that for them, but also we do that for the betterment of mankind as well. As we want to get the Word of God out there. We want people to know it and to understand it, and we trust that God will work through his word because that's what he says is what he uses to draw people really in to say, you are my God. Not just your God out there who created everything, but you are my God. It's the word that allows us um, <clears throat> to do that. Uh, you guys got anything on on that? I've talked for six minutes and 43 seconds. No? Scott wasn't here, so don't look at Scott. He's He's <laughs> yeah. out. Scott's been in creation hearing the voice. He has been. So I, I, yeah. It yeah, came a lot as thunder and rain, I hear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <And> water slides. <laughs> I think it's helpful to point out the um, <clears throat> just slowing down and looking at the text that the word of God does stuff. Because so often we think about what we need to do with the word. But actually what the writer here says is he's emphasizing what the word of God does to us. And so the word of God restores, it makes wise, it rejoices, it enlightens us. Um, so God's word, just as he spoke at creation and created the first world, the first creation, the first heavens and earth. And whenever he speaks, things happen because his word is not like our words our words cannot create reality. We, we can't. But his word is 
uh, able to create reality. Uh, Paul says in Romans 4 that he calls things into existence that do not exist. And so here, whenever we are opening ourselves, whenever we open the Bible or we're hearing it read, hearing it preached, um, the word of God is doing something. The eternal creator is speaking to us. And that is a, a really helpful thing because um, we don't have to change ourselves and we can't change other people's souls. But the word God does, and he does it through speaking. The eternal God still restores souls. He makes wise the foolish, the simple. He rejoices our hearts, um, and he does it through the written text of Scripture. I think that's just really helpful, and it's the Holy Spirit working through the written Word of God um, that does that. I don't know. That's just something. So I have a question because we talked about this in the sermon too. Verses 10 and 11, talking about the Word of God, it says, It's more to be desired... Are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb? Moreover, by them is your servant worn, and keeping them there is a great reward, right? So I think we would all agree uh, in this room that uh, being in the Word of God is important. It's something we would encourage people to do, right? Uh, and to do it in uh, multiple, multiple ways. Uh, one is to be at church on Sunday, to hear the Word preached, right? To hear it read publicly. Uh, we have Sunday school where the Word of God is taught. We also would encourage people to do it on their own, to read the Word of God on their own. That's why we currently have a Bible plan going through the Old Testament to encourage uh, you to to be in the Word of God. Now, my question is this. When we read the Word of God and we, we read what it does and we, we see that it should be so sweet, right? It should just taste like honey. What... Uh, what should we expect? How does this really play out, do you think, in our lives as we approach the Word of God? And what I mean by that is, I think sometimes people will read that, and what they think is, I'm not doing something right because I don't I don't feel that necessarily. You know, every time I read the Bible, I'm not just like, oh, that was just a breath of fresh air. I just feel so great today. Or... <clears throat> I think some people take that and what they do is they start to read the Bible in a way where they're trying to find these little nuggets of enlightenment saying, he's going to enlighten my eyes, enlighten my eyes today. And if, if they didn't find some little nugget that they'd never seen before, it almost feels like, well, today was kind of a waste. I wasn't enlightened to anything. So I think it would be good for us maybe to talk about what we should expect as we hear the word of God preached, as we hear it read publicly, as we read it on our own. How can this really be a part of our life um, to where we can say, yeah, it is sweet to me, and I, I am thankful for my time in the Word, and it is a, a breath of fresh air, and to honestly honestly mean that. I mean, I think I have some mm-hmm. thoughts in my head, but I was just wondering. I hope that makes sense what I'm asking mm-hmm. to you guys. Mm-hmm. And I think going back to what you said, Spencer, I think that's really good because I think oftentimes we're taught, maybe it's because of our culture, kind of Western individualism, we're taught to look at the Word of God very subjectively. Okay, what can this do to improve my life? You know, we like the six steps to improve our health or six steps to have a stronger marriage or whatever, right? And so I think we approach the, the Word of God sometimes like that. And I think that's the wrong approach. <laughs> that's the wrong foundation to start from. Whereas to going to the Word or listening to the Word as it is, as it's meant to be, 
as it was. That's why I think context is very important. You know, when, when we're preaching the word, we understand the context of what, what did the author intend? This is the audience that he intended to write to. And then the application comes, obviously. And so I think starting off with the right foundation is very important. Okay, God's word is God's word. It's true. It's Hebrews, the double-edged sword. You know, it's meant to convict, enlighten. It's meant to bring, uh, you know, uh, expose sinfulness, um, give us a sense of God's kingdom more and, and his will. And looking at it that way rather than, hmm, how can this make my life better? How can I feel good about myself? Mm. How can this pat me on the back, if you will? Rather, how can this... Maybe I need to be slapped around a bit, you know, from God's word. Maybe I need to, you know, see it as it is and take what it says and then, you know, let it be objectively, if you will, uh, in my heart rather than subjectively. So, yeah, that's good. I think one of the things that I, I've been thinking, I've thought about this just recently, listening to some stuff. And um, when we think about the Bible and you're reading it or as pastors preparing it, so often we're asking the question, what is this passage or text mean? And that's, that's good. We should ask what it means. But the problem with that is if we only do that, then we're still stuck in the area of simply knowledge. And if we think the Bible is precious to us as honey because it gives us some kind of um, super special insight, that's not what it's there for. Instead, we have to ask the question, what is this passage doing? God doesn't simply give us his word so that we can have um, uh, fun little inquisitive games. Uh, Paul, or not Paul, uh, Hannah, in her prayer about the Lord, she says, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. So the Lord, through his word, does basically two things. He kills us with his law and raises us back up with his gospel. And so as we think about, whenever you approach the Bible that way, instead of thinking simply about what does this mean, because whenever you think that, you're going to kind of live up here in the clouds. But whenever instead you come down to brass tacks and say, what is God doing? What is he saying to me right here, right now, in my situation? Like, And, and just say, what is this passage doing? Well, the, pa the law is going to convict us and kill us. Paul says, apart from the commandment, I was alive. But when the commandment came, I died. So when we read the Bible, it kills us and it makes it very bitter. But especially whenever we read the gospel promises to us, then um, the passages that tell us, come to me and rest, or you're forgiven of your sins, or um, the promises of resurrection, the promises of hope. Mm -hmm. Those are especially the things that I think are sweeter than honey. Mm -hmm. So things are sweeter than honey, not whenever we're simply thinking about intellectual games or, or, you know, if you're studying the Nephilim or if you're studying some random stuff. I don't think that's what David is thinking about here. David is thinking your word is sweet to me because David knows, as we're going to talk about, David knows he's a sinner. He knows that he's, he's done some stuff that's wrong, and he deserves death, as we will know later on in his life. He knows that he deserves death. But the Lord's word of promise, just as the Lord's word came and convicted him and brought pain to him, 
it also was the another separate word of promise of forgiveness and putting away his sin and the promise of Christ to come. And that's really, I think, when the word becomes desirable and sweet um, as honey. Not simply whenever we're thinking about what does it mean, but what is God doing through this word? And how is it hitting me across the head? That's where Luther eventually would say, uh, the Bible is living to me. It has hands and feet and it mm-hmm. grabs me. Mm-hmm. And that's really whenever the Bible's really doing its work, not whenever we're, if we come to the Bible thinking we stand over scripture in order to judge it and to, uh, and we're the main actors when we're reading the Bible, we've got it wrong. Mm-hmm. The Bible reads us, it judges us, and it forgives us and justifies us. But whenever we do that, it's God doing it through that written text. And that's the power of, of scripture, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think the way that we see it as sweet as honey is we understand when we approach it that this is the means by which God speaks to us. We don't we don't have another one. We don't have another means. And and right. so when we when we really believe that and hold on to that uh, we read this book in that way. And we know that no matter what I'm reading God is speaking to me and he promises me that he's going to use it in my life. So there's even times where I don't understand it, uh, but that's why we study sometimes, right? That's why we do ask those questions and try to figure out what is being said here. But there's a lot of the Bible that you read, and you you know what's being said. You know, just like here in 19, I mean, you can look at verses 7 through 9 and say, I wonder what each of those words for the word, what is he getting at? And we did that. But you can read verse 7 through 9 and say, He's saying the Bible's perfect, and it and it's used in my life. Yeah, and the the tone that is is there in those verses. I mean, I read through those verses, and I just think David loved the Lord, mm-hmm. and he loved His Word. Yeah, and he desired it, and he wanted it, and mm-hmm. was hungry for it. Right, and you were talking about the the covenantal name of God being used in this section. It's just it's just very clear in these verses that David enjoyed fellowship with god and saw god's word as a way as a pathway to enjoy fellowship with him and you know of knowing god and when i read those these verses that just makes me think i i want to enjoy god in that same way Mm -hmm. i want to know god in that same way yeah yeah this is just coming to my head so it might fall apart and you guys can rip on me for that but I think sometimes uh, in marriage we approach our marriage wrong. We like you all could, the time. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like uh, you could almost talk about marriage in this way. It's like it, it's sweet to me. It's like honey being married and having that relationship, right? But I think the way that some people approach it is they're always looking for like these special things that are going to happen within your marriage. Like, do you remember that special date night we had? And you start to live a, a way in your marriage where it's not exciting unless that's happening. And so then you start to think, we just don't have that exciting of a marriage. And so it doesn't feel like this all the time. But that's a that's a really bad view of what marriage is and how special it can be and how sweet it can be. Because the sweetness of it is you're there for each other every day. You know, you're, you're coming home every day. You're committed to each other each and every day, and you you love each other. And hopefully, in that relationship, there's a trust that they do love me, and I and I do love them, right? And and so, 
any time that you get to spend together is sweet, even when not a lot of words are shared, but you're just together, you know. Uh, I think you feel that more in the family sense as your kids get older, uh, as you start to to realize that. You think, you know, it's we might not be playing a board game together, we might not be in the backyard doing something, but everybody's home, and that's nice. You know, that that's nice, and it's it's a, it's a sweet thing. Now, vacation is fun, and it's sweet, you know, and you think about that. I just think that's how people approach God and their relationship with Him and the Word at times. It's just like something extravagant gets that has to happen for it to be sweet. And unless that's happening, I just don't think it's sweet. And that's just a wrong view. Every time I go to the Word of God, I, got, I should be reminded, Yahweh loves me. That's sweet, you know. Mm-hmm. I know I'm in King's. That's what we're in this week is first Kings. And we're reading about now it's getting to the part of this guy was King for this many years. And this guy was King for this many years. And so I, I'm going to guess most people, except for probably Gary ball, don't read it and think this is like honey to me (laughs) reading about all these Kings, you know? Um, but it is a reminder that through all of that mess, right? God kept his people. And it is a reminder as we think ahead that Christ has come through this, through the line of David, of who I am a child of God because of Christ. And while I might not grasp all of this, and it seems mundane to read all of this, I I do need to be reminded that I am his, and this is part of my story. And God loves me, and I'm reminded of that again today as I read about this king who was a bad king and fell. Um, But thank you, God, for that. And it wasn't some big ecstatic thing. I didn't cry today when I was reading this. I didn't even maybe ponder some huge sin. There was no big revelation. It was just a reminder again as I went to the Word of God. God opened my eyes to the truth to say, and this is your story. Mm-hmm. And through all this mess, you're, you, you're a part of it and you're saved, right? <clears throat> so like being able to see the joy in the mundane. And I, I, I do think, going back to the marriage thing, that's where a lot of marriages start to fall apart is yeah. people lose that, right? And they, they miss that. And the little small things that you have to do in your marriage to just check in on each other or just, it, again, not the huge giant vacations that you take or the crazy date nights that you do, but there are small little things that you do every now and again in your marriage just to check in with each other, to make sure you're still there, mm-hmm. to talk with each other, to support one another. It's those normal mundane things that make your marriage strong. Sure. Not yeah. the crazy mm-hmm. stuff. And it's the same thing with the word of, of God. It's, you know, it, it was interesting. I was doing the Youth Summer Discipleship course this, this past summer. It's over now. But, you know, towards the end of that, we were talking about having fellowship with God through his word. And the idea coming up of, have you ever actually enjoyed, like sat down to read your Bible and enjoyed doing it? And one of the reasons that they were able to think of of why that's hard to do is because if you're not familiar with the part of the Bible that you're reading, if you don't know it or know how it fits with the bigger story, like you were talking about with Kings, then it's kind of hard to enjoy that time because it's just out of context. Um, And so it's just like the normal everyday plotting at times that happens that allows you to have just this sweet fellowship and yeah. relationship with the God, like you said, who loves you. But yeah. a great thing about God too is, um, it was probably Alistair Begg who said this. I listened to him a lot, but God does give us those times though, yeah. when we're reading his word and it mm-hmm. really hits home. Yeah. And you really feel what people would say. I really feel the presence of God. I really feel him speaking to me through this. Or sometimes it happens like in a song, you know, mm-hmm. where maybe you're singing a song and it's just really ringing true that, you know, 
uh, of who God is and what he's done. And maybe you find yourself tearing up or, or maybe you just find yourself in a mode where you're really, you really feel like I'm worshiping him. Uh, I think it was Alistair who said, we need to praise God for those moments and thank him for those moments because those are gifts from him, but we shouldn't feel like we have to force him to do that all the time. You know, it's like, those are good. Same way yeah. going on a trip, just you and your wife and having a great time for a few days is awesome. And it's something you guys can think about and reflect on. And it's great, right? And there's nothing wrong with it. We praise God for those times. But it's not always going to be the normal. And so I can't just sit here and think I'm I'm messed up, you know? Yeah. Um, if you're relying on those for your marriage, you should actually expect your marriage is going to suffer. You well, <laughs> I was talking to somebody recently, mm-hmm. and they were just telling me that they had lived their life as a Christian for a long time, thinking something was really wrong because pastors were telling them through music mm-hmm. that if you're not feeling this, you're messed up. There's something yeah. wrong. And yeah. he just thought, maybe that's me. Mm-hmm. I, I think I'm a Christian, but I I don't want to clap. I don't want to raise my hand. I'm not I'm not getting what they're what they're getting, and. Uh, and that's sad because that's just not that's just not true, right? That's just not how life is. And, um, anyways, I just wanted to talk about that real quick with mm-hmm. them, what it looks like, because I do think some people try to approach the Bible that way, and when it doesn't happen on Monday morning, when you're dead tired and you're like, <laughs> "What I even read for?" It's like, no, there's purpose to that. God mm-hmm. uses it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, well, we need to wrap up. So David goes through this, and he's talked about creation. He's talked about the word of God and what happens to David, just like happens to everybody else in scripture when they are approached with the presence of God is they realize who they are and he realizes he's a sinner. In verse 12, he says, who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. David realizes his need for God to declare him innocent. He realizes, one, that he's guilty. He realizes, two, I can do nothing to satisfy this guilt. There's nothing that I can do. The only thing that I can beg for is grace and mercy in this moment. I I fall before you. If you kill me, it's deserved. If you send me to hell, it's deserved. If, But I'm begging you to pour out grace and mercy and help me to be forgiven of sin. And even he even says presumptuous, it even like hidden, hidden sins, he says. Sins I don't even know about. But they're there. Forgive me, forgive me of these sins. And so this is the work of the word of God. This is this is that natural progression that I was trying to talk about for the past couple of weeks. Is yeah, creation helps you see that there's God, but then the word of God draws you to God and it shows you this is you and this is God. And and the only response from that would be, I don't deserve to be with God. I I'm a sinner. I'm far away from him. I'm unworthy of him. And so I hope that he will give me grace. And that's where David stood. Give me grace. And I think there was an assurance in David's life that he would receive grace and that he was given grace. And we see that in verse 14 as he praises him and worships him. But for us as New Testament, people after the New Testament, is we know that grace is offered and it's offered through the blood of Christ. And so we read Romans 3, right? Two weeks ago we read Romans 1. Sinners, just debased, just messed up people. But in Romans 3, we see, yeah, all have fallen short of the glory of God, but but Christ has come as a propitiation for sin. And so grace is there. Grace is offered, and it's given. And it's it's the same as with David. There's nothing, David didn't say, what should I do to be forgiven? It was, will you forgive me? That was it. And God has said to us today, 
Yeah, through Christ. It's right here. Uh, through faith in Christ, you're forgiven of your sin. No, you don't have to do anything. There's no altar needed. There's no, <clears throat> there's no saying needed. It's faith, and that is just a a very comforting thing, you know, to think of us in our in our sin and in our filth and in our unrighteousness, and yet God is there for us, loving us, sending His Son to die for us in our place. And <clears throat> so, what I tried to do, I hope I did. I wanted the sermon to be encouraging in the end, um, to have us as Christians, those who've been saved, I encouraged us to live in grace. It's probably the biggest uh, thing that people talked about with me yesterday after the sermon. I had quite a few people talk about it. That I was just saying how I would I struggled for a long time. Grow, I grew up in this church, so a lot of people know that. But and grace was talked about, but I I lived in grace. I, I was Christian, but I didn't always feel freedom in grace. I still lived that way of thinking when I had sinned and done something wrong that something was going to happen to me because of that. I was going to do a bad grade on a test. I was going to do something bad in a sport or something like that. And and honestly, a lot of times when I would have a bad game or have a bad test, it wouldn't be chalked up to, well, Tim, you didn't study, which I probably didn't. Uh, it was often, it's because I sinned. I deserved it. I deserved to get a bad grade. I, I don't deserve to get a good grade because of what I did or whatever. Um, and that was, Hey, that's a horrible way to live. And I think a lot of Christians today live that way. And so I tried in the sermon to encourage people to see what the Bible really says. And it's that you are somebody in grace. God has give you great, given you grace. And I know I say this all the time, but when Christ has saved you, the father sees you and he sees his son and it's, it's perfect. He, it's hard for us to think about that, but he sees us as perfect. 100% perfect. We don't see ourselves as perfect because we know us, right? But the Father sees us as perfect because it's in Christ. He died in our place. He was our propitiation. And so, yeah, we still go to him and ask for forgiveness, but we know forgiveness is there. And uh, what I tried to share, too, is what I have found in ministry and what I found in my life is that freedom in grace. Because people will start to think, right, and Paul talks about this in Romans, if you're just giving people free passes in grace all the time, they're just going to sin a lot. I found it to be the opposite. When you keep telling people to do better, they just can't. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you make them feel like God's mad at them because they're not being moral or not giving enough or whatever it might be, you're just you're just putting so much weight on their shoulders and honestly just damning them over and over again. There's nothing good about that. Mm-hmm. But when you, I have seen it in people's faces. I've seen it in their lives. When you tell them, "Listen, brother, you are you are free," all of a sudden they want to honor God with their life. Morality comes, you know, uh, overcoming sin happens. Uh, We're still going to have sin we struggle with, don't get me wrong, but our motives are totally different because we're sitting there thinking, wow, he sees me as perfect. Well, I want to do my best to be perfect. Be holy because I am holy. I want to do that. And I know that when I fall, he still loves me, but that's not giving me a free pass to fall. I want to keep doing better for him, right? To me, that's just the best motivation. You know, I've had coaches who scream all the time, but then I've had coaches who are very encouraging. I encouraging is better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just all there is to it. Makes you want to play for them. You're ready to do anything for them. Trust them. <clears throat> and that's what we have in God. I mean, just a great encourager, right? Mm-hmm. I love you who you are. I love you. That's enough. Find rest in this. And I think that's what we see in this, in this Psalm. The word of God is sharp, right? We read that in Hebrews four. 
It's sharp. It gets to the point. It's very precise. It hits us what we need. Remember in the sermon I said, it's not about like clipping your fingernails or buffing out little edges. That's not what you're coming to church for. The word of God hits you right in the heart. You are a sinner deserving of punishment, but God has punished his son in your place. Will you believe and be his child? Mm. And for many of us, we, we do believe that. And we rest in that promise. And that's what this psalm is about. And so we should leave, I hope people left feeling uh, maybe a little less weight on their shoulders. That's what I was intending. I hope that's how it came across. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Yeah, I think that's, you're a good Protestant. Yeah. You're a good Protestant because that's that's the Protestant (laughs) Reformation right there. I mean, that is is why we do what we do. Um, And I think what you pointed about your experience growing up is sadly uh, far too common in all of evangelicalism, which mm-hmm. is kind of ironic because the word evangelical means we're supposed to be the gospel people. <laughs> yeah. But actually, um, it's it, so often in the Christian life, we can present this this way. It, people think the, that, quote, getting saved is a bait and switch. You get in by grace, but then after that, you better get to work. And all you get is more principles and commandments about how to become better. And that's that's the bait and switch. And then people are like, oh, my goodness, they're so worn out because exactly what you're saying. You said something there about how um, no matter how much you tell people to do better, they can't do it. That's the, that is exactly what Paul says. Paul mm-hmm. says the law cannot produce righteousness. I was talking to you. The law can't do Paul says in Romans, 4, Romans chapter 4, the law brings wrath. Yeah, I mean, so you cannot yeah. create yeah. righteousness, even righteous behavior, by simply telling people, do this. They have yeah. to have exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And that's why people were saying, Paul, you're an antinomian. Yeah, right. You're anti-law. Paul's like, no, 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 no. No, you're, you've totally missed the point. Let's yeah. go back to the gospel again. I was and, talking to somebody last night at our pulled pork uh, fellowship, which was awesome, by the way. Uh about coaching in sports, and maybe this will help some people who are sport-minded. Um, but I was saying that there there is different coaching styles, and one way is to always yell at the kids to run faster. Go faster. And so, like, you have a football team, which I'm not the best at. Uh, I don't know a ton about football specifics. But I had a football coach, and he was just – he would always say, you need to hit them harder. You need to go faster. And I remember thinking as a middle schooler, that guy's way bigger than me. I can hit him as hard as I want. He doesn't even feel it. What are you talking about? You need to give me something to get better is what I would think about this coach. And he just didn't have it. He didn't have a way to tell me to stand better or to even get faster or any technique. There was nothing about that, right? It was just go harder, go faster. And I think sometimes that's how people approach their life in Christ is, if I just am better, if I just go to church more, if I just do this, right, this is all going to go and I'm going to feel so much better about myself and God is going to be so much happy. Just go harder, go harder, go harder. It doesn't work that way. Yep. It doesn't work that way, mm-hmm. right? A good coach is going to tell people technique. They're going to show them form. They're going to show them ways to actually improve. They're going to set them up for success saying, I know that guy's bigger than you, but I know a way that you can get around him. Run away from him. Don't hit him. He's going to beat you if you hit him. I need you to run around him. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Right? You start giving technique. Well, the technique that the Bible gives us, there's only one, and it's uh, Christ died for you. Mm-hmm. 
There's no other technique. There's nothing else that we can do. We're going to be going into a new series with the podcast uh, coming up here, but it's going to be based off of a a thing, a set of theses Luther wrote, not the 95 ones, but there's 28 that he gave at a disputation. But there's one of them that says this. Uh, This is after he posted the 95 theses. He wrote this, the law says do this and it is never done. Grace says believe in this and all things are already done. Yeah, Mm -hmm. right. That's the law and the gospel. The law says do this and it can never get done because we're sinners. Even after even after we become believers, the law is never done. Mm-hmm. But grace says believe this and we find out it was actually already done and it's all finished. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And that's that's it. Well, I hope Psalm nineteen was refreshing for people. I hope they in- enjoyed looking at it. It's a pretty popular psalm. Most people probably had heard it before or, or knew it, especially that part of uh, sweeter than honey and drippings on home that's in some songs and I like stuff. honey I do too you know mm-hmm. last night at the pulled pork one of the people who made the pork he rubbed honey over the whole thing mm-hmm. and then his seasonings and then smoked it it was nice. interesting you could nice. taste it who it was, was a little sweeter Charles I had his yeah, it was I good. could see Charlie rubbing honey all over that pork yeah oh he yeah. did yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's all a right. fun guy well we'll end on that visual image <laughs> thank you Spencer <laughs> yeah you're welcome <laughs> Well, we look forward to seeing you this coming Sunday. Hopefully we'll see you here at uh, at church together. We have Lord's Supper, um, so that'll be a, a good, sweet time together. Uh, but until Sunday, we hope that you have a, a great week. God bless.